Thanks so much to Tracy for leading us this morning in worship. We appreciate you very much in all that she does. You still, my prayer is, will remain in prayer for our youth and our adults who are gone this morning. We, uh, there are over 300 who are gathered at Piney Woods over the weekend to worship the Lord and uh, to celebrate His goodness. Uh, you be in prayer for them as they finish up this morning. Uh, we are the second largest church there. Uh, we have about 55 adults and students there. So I'm just thankful for Clint and the ministry that's going on and the lives that are being changed there. Uh, they'll be heading back uh, this morning. They're having a worship service there this morning, and then they will head back, uh, stop in Lufkin and grab some lunch and then be back at the church. So you be in prayer for them. Uh, you might be able to tell that I'm either going through puberty or uh, my voice is squeaking. I think it's probably the latter. Uh, when the weather changes like this, uh, it really affects me. Uh, I go back and forth with my voice. Uh, and so you'll uh, please forgive me uh, for making squeaking, pitching noises while I'm sharing with you this morning. And I may grab a drink of water every once in a while just to help me along. If you will uh, take your Bible and you will turn to the fourth chapter of John. Uh, we're continuing to look at a sermon series that we've called Disciplines of a Disciple. And uh, this morning I am probably as excited as much as I've ever been to share with you about what the Lord says uh, and what he's laid on my heart about worship. Uh, we've been looking at... Uh, inward disciplines, outward disciplines, and now we're going to look at corporate disciplines uh, of what we do together as a body of believers. So this morning I am really addressing those of us who are believers in Christ, who uh, have placed our faith in Christ and how we respond to that faith. Uh, the way we respond to that faith is through worship. Uh, it is, uh, again, if you remember uh, the understanding of the disciplines, the, the disciplines are to lead us to freedom. Uh, they're not supposed to hang over our head uh, like your neck is on a chopping block if you don't practice uh, and study and you don't practice prayer and you don't practice uh, fasting. Uh, rather, those are disciplines that are all throughout Scripture pointed toward us who are believers to place into practice as we uh, try to move toward freedom in Christ and who he is to honor what he has done in our life. And this morning and actually next week too, uh, because I, as much as I thought, oh, I'll, I'll just cram this all into one, I just decided that worship is such an important narrative and such an important discipline for us that I just thought, no, I'm not going to try and force everything into one. And so this morning, I just really want to talk to you about the priority of worship, uh, how God has placed that as a priority in our life. And it's something we should do uh, because we want to do it, uh, because there's great joy in doing it. If you look at uh, John, the fourth chapter, let me turn there and get with you. What you'll find is Jesus... Uh, in conversation with a Samaritan woman. And most of you are probably <clears throat> very familiar with this passage where uh, the Samaritan woman is at the, the well. Jesus uh, determines to make his path 
<coughs> excuse me, go by and see the Samaritan woman. And in the midst of seeing the Samaritan woman, his heart reaches out to her knowing that she needs to have a relationship with Christ, with him. And so he begins to question her about the water that she's drawing at the well. And as he's questioning her about the, the water that she's drawing at the well, he begins to explain to her that he has the power to give her eternal water, uh, to quench her thirst forever. And that intrigues her so much to the fact that she wants to know, what about this living water? What about this water that would make me thirst no more? And if you look down <coughs> at verse 17, you'll see that she says, well, I have no husband, and, and Jesus has pointed out a sin in her life. Uh, Jesus has come to her and said, uh, look, I, I know about your sins. I know who you are. Isn't it amazing uh, that all of us, in some form or fashion, think that we can hide our sin from Christ? And yet, uh, Scripture over and over again points out that the ridiculousness of that statement, that I bet you I can do this and nobody will see me. Uh, it's one of the things that I really love about uh, the, whoever came up with the definition of integrity. They said, integrity is what you do when no one is looking. Well, your life is like that. You think no one is looking, but Jesus knows you. And he knows your heart. He knows your motive. He knows your actions. You cannot hide from him. And that's what Jesus is pointing out to her in verse 17 uh, he, well, back up one verse, verse 16, he says, go call your husbands and come back. And he knows what he's doing. And this is not Christ setting a trap. Uh, please don't look at this passage like this. Uh, this is not Jesus trying to have an aha moment with this lady. What Jesus is doing is helping her to understand that the, the way to salvation is through him and in the forgiveness of sins. And so, and the most important thing that he can do is help her to understand that she's a sinner in need of a Savior. And that's where we all find ourselves, as sinners in need of a Savior. And so he says to her, go, go call your husbands and come back. In verse 17, she says, well, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, well, you're right. Uh, you're absolutely right. You don't have a husband. And the fact is, you've had five husbands, and the man you have now is not your husband, what you've just said is quite true, and you know that she has to be astonished. Think about how astonished you would be if Christ was to stand before you and point out the sin in your life. Uh, it, what's fascinating here to me is to a certain extent, you think from the conversation, and when you look at this conversation, you think that the lady, uh, uh, the Samaritan woman, is trying some way to kind of avoid this conversation because she says, well, I don't have a husband. And he says, well, you're right. You got that part right. But the deal is you've had five husbands. And so what she's trying to do is almost what you see in political games. You know, if, if I phrase this just right, will he miss it? And then he doesn't miss it. He, he knocks it out of the park. And he says, well, you're right, you have no husband. You've had five husbands, and even the guy you're with now is not your husband. And by that time, she's just overwhelmed. I mean, she has to be totally overwhelmed. Think about how overwhelmed you would be if, if Christ confronted you with your sin 
and you tried to dodge it a little bit, and then he went, well, let me explain. Not only are you this, but you're also all of this. You would just feel overwhelmed. That's, that has to be how she's feeling, just totally overwhelmed. And, and look at what she says. She says, sir, the woman said, I can see that you're a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place we must worship is in Jerusalem. And Jesus declared, believe me, woman, a time is coming when you will worship the Father, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. Now, we're going to stop right here just for a second because I want to point out something to you that I think is incredibly important for all of us to see. Uh, she says to Christ, I can see that you're a prophet. Our fathers worship here on this mountain, but Jews proclaim that there's another place that we must worship. And, and Jesus, do you see what he answers here? He, he's answering here, the place that you worship is not important. The person that you worship is. And so he, he's pointing that out to her. So if you're here at Holly Springs worshiping this morning with the body of believers, this is a great place for you to be in, and I'm glad you're here. But if you were at some other place, some other church with some other body of believers worshiping Christ this morning, that's okay. Our students are at Piney Woods this morning. They're worshiping Christ with the body of believers. It's okay because it's Jesus they're worshiping. That's what they went there to do. That's what he's pointing out here. Listen to what he says. <clears throat> he says, you Samaritans worship, this is verse 22, you Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet as time is coming and has now come, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit. And his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. Now, we're going to go back and we're going to point that out to you here in just a minute about how important it is that your spirit invades this place and worships God's spirit. That's what we have come here to do this morning. I love what he points out here that he says, Time is coming and now will come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. Now, you probably didn't count, and there's no reason for you to, to have counted, but just within that short passage that I read to you, the word worship is mentioned eight times. And here's, here's the, the understanding that I want to make sure that you grab from this. The Samaritan woman is being brought to faith in Christ, and as she's being brought to faith in Christ, he's pointing out to her, how important it is for her to worship now. Do you get that? Do you, do you catch what's going on here? What Jesus Christ is saying to us, to the Samaritan woman, and to everyone who becomes a believer in Christ, that once you become a believer in Christ, then your task, your joy, your, your great privilege is to worship Him, the one who saved you. Now, Turn with me over to Matthew, the fourth chapter. Matthew, the fourth chapter, and while you're looking there, I'm going to take a swallow. Thank you. <clears throat> now, here's quite the opposite kind of a passage uh, 
of worship. Here in Matthew, the fourth chapter, <clears throat> Jesus is being tempted by Satan. And, and Satan, if you've not ever read it this way, this is definitely the way you should picture this. Uh, there, there's lots of ways that you can comprehend and understand this passage. But one of the ways that you need to be able to comprehend and understand this passage is Satan is trying to tempt Jesus to worship anybody but God, but his Father. He's, he, he's tempting him to take charge, to, to, to be the one in charge. He's tempting him to, to gain all the power for himself. All these things are going on in, in this passage here where um, Jesus answers over and over again that uh, through Scripture that man does not live by bread alone but by every word that comes from the mouth of God because Satan is trying to tempt him with, <clears throat> with his hunger. And, and Jesus says, well, you can't tempt me with hunger because hunger won't satisfy me. Uh, eating something won't satisfy my hunger, my, my hunger's for God. And then he, he tries to tempt him uh, with throwing himself down from the highest point in the temple. And he says, surely the angels will take care of you. And he's trying to go after his power. And Jesus answered him, it's also written, don't put your Lord, the God, to a test. And then uh, everything that, that's going on here is pointing to the fact <clears throat> that Satan says, well, there's a lot of other options of you for you to worship, uh, power or food. Uh, if we were to turn it into today's thought process, it would be our, maybe our smarts. Uh, it, it amazes me right now how many people, because of technology, think that they're so smart they don't need to worship God. Or because of what we have accomplished in our lives as human beings. Well, we've been to the moon. Uh, we, we've got computers the size of a phone that can answer almost every question that we have. We have brilliant scientists and we, we've, uh, we've built incredible uh, communities of places where we can live. The homes that we live in, the cars that we drive, all those things. And, and Satan has put all those things in your life to tempt you and to tempt me. Not that they aren't wonderful things and, and not that they aren't good and godly things even that, that the Lord can use for you. But the question is, how do you use your home? How do you use your car? How do you use your mind? And, and Satan's always trying to grab that and turn it for him to be used against God. And God always says, don't do that. Why don't you look at what you have and what you've been given and worship me because of what I've given you and what you have available? <clears throat> look at what Jesus, how Jesus answers Satan. When all this happens in Matthew 4, chapter, uh, Matthew 4, chapter, verse 10, he says, Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God, and serve Him only. Only God. That's who we're called to worship. Uh, the powerful name of Jesus. I love that song that we sang uh, in, in the midst of worship this morning, that nothing compares to Him. And that's, that's what worship is. 
that's who we as a corporate body have to come to an understanding of. Now, understanding that and using that as a foundation, let me share some things that are really important uh, that I I want you to hear from me this morning. As I have studied this past week, and the Lord has really laid some things out on my heart as, as I've looked and studied. Listen, God's reaching out to his children and, and he's actively seeking for you to worship him. Um, th- this is, I, I, I want to make sure you, you hear me when I say this. Uh, God is the one who's seeking, drawing, and persuading you to worship. Listen, I don't, I don't know that I can make this word picture or what I want to share with you important enough or understanding enough. But God does not sit up on his throne and turn his back to you and wait for you to walk in to, to worship him. That, that's not the true image of the God that we worship. The true image of the God we worship is the God who's chasing after you. He's chasing after your heart. Think about the Samaritan woman. When he went by Samaria, he was chasing after that woman to come to faith in him. And just like the Samaritan woman, he chases after you. And what he's chasing after you is he's persuading you. He's loving you. He's he's trying to grip your heart and say, come worship me. And this is, this is the, the part of the point that I want to drive home. And, of course, I'm, I understand I'm speaking to what we would call the choir in theology terms. But when you don't come to worship on Sunday, when you don't come gather with the, the body of believers on Sunday to worship him, the God who is persuading you, the God who's trying to draw you unto him, the God who loves you and is trying to bring you into his presence, you are turning your back on him. I know that's not kind. I know that's not nice. And I know that there's all kinds of reasons that you can stay home and not worship. But when you do that, you're walking away from the God who's chasing after you. Don't do that. Worship is our response to a divine calling. You have a divine calling on your life. And that calling is to turn away from your sins, follow Christ, and worship Him. Come into His presence. Oh, goodness, don't don't miss that. Scripture is full of God chasing after His children to fellowship with Him. Think about Adam and Eve. Think about them in the garden and and how God chased after them to persuade them to come to him. Think about the story of the prodigal son. Think about uh, the Mount of Transfiguration where they gathered together and and Peter wanted to worship right there and build tabernacles. That was God chasing. He's always chasing after you. Think about him on the cross when he was going to die for your sins and my sins. He was chasing after the thief 
next to him and saying, hey, come worship with me. In just a few minutes, we'll be together in paradise. That's the God who loves you. That's the God who wants you to worship with him. That's the God who you came to worship today. The God who loves you in all through the scripture. He's chasing after you and saying, come worship. Come worship. You can't hardly find a passage anywhere within the scripture that when uh, salvation comes, it doesn't turn to now worship. That's what it's all about. That's what's heartbreaking about situations where people might lead somebody to Christ and they don't tie in the understanding of discipleship and the understanding that now that you're a believer, you are called to things. And part of what you're called to is worship. You are called to come and worship the Lord who loves you and who chased after you. Oh, the picture of Christ chasing after you for salvation is filled and finished and finalized when he chases after you also now that you're a believer to worship him. So don't paint only half the picture. Don't paint only the picture everybody's hearts need to be given to Christ. Nothing could be more true than that, but nothing could be more true that after that heart's been given to Christ, after that life has been given to Christ, now you're called to worship. Oh, that's, that's a beautiful thing. That's a, the great joy of worship. That's one of you, I, I know you probably get overwhelmingly tired of me talking about mission trips and fantastic things that happen when you're on mission trips. But one of the most fantastic things that will ever happen to you when you visit people in another country that don't speak your language and don't share your culture is you will watch them worship in a language that you don't understand and, and participate in ways that don't make as much sense to you and you will feel the presence of the Holy Spirit like you've never felt it in your life, never understanding a word that's going on there. Listen, I, I, I've sat in a church in the communist country of Laos. Kendall's here this morning, Scott and Laura, some of them have been there too. Kendall spent several years in that country. And you go sit and worship in a church in Laos and the women will be sitting on this side and the men will be sitting on this side because that's cultural to them. It makes no sense. And you'll walk in and they'll start speaking in Lao. And I, the, the time that we were there that we worshiped on Sunday, I didn't have anybody sitting next to me who could explain to me what was being said. I really didn't know anything until he nudged me and said, you're supposed to sing now. And I said, what? And he said, you and Laura are supposed to sing now because you see, in Lao culture, when you're a guest, guests get up and sing. Now, why don't we do that here? Who's visiting this morning? We would like, no. <laughs> we would never have anybody come to church. I'm, I'm not kidding. Where's Kendall at? Kendall, where are you at? Kendall, is that the truth? Am I speaking the truth? Thank you. All right. Just so you know, Pastor Bobby doesn't lie very often from the pulpit. Uh, <clears throat> listen, that's, that's a crazy, weird phenomenon to have somebody come up. Do you see that piece of dust falling right there? I was just, I kept thinking, what the heck is going on? Uh, 
I'll never get back to my point now. But it, it is a, an incredibly strange phenomenon to be in a cultural different church like that and listen to somebody speak and loud and still feel the presence of the Lord. And you can do it. It's one of the, the crazy things that happens when, when you get to have experiences like that. Listen, worship is our response to his love for us. That's what worship is. If you want the short, really good definition that I didn't come up with, but something that I took from a book, but it's really what I believe, which is worship is our response to his love for us. Why do you come on Sunday? You come because you want to tell Jesus you love him. Amen. And you want to sing to him. You want to, you want to give back to him through the offering. You want to study his word. That's why you come. You're, you're responding to his love. Listen, if you came here this morning to check off a box to make your wife happy or your husband happy, your mom happy, your dad happy, or you, you're here for the whole wrong reason. Don't get me wrong. I'm, I'm glad you're here. But if you came for that reason, that's not why you were called to come this morning. You were called to come and love on Jesus. That's what you were called to come to do this morning. Listen, nowhere in the New Testament is there a prescription uh, that tells us how we're supposed to worship. Um, there, there's nowhere in the New Testament that says, you can't worship unless there's a full-blown choir up here. Or you can't worship unless you have an orchestra. Or you can't worship if the guitar is too loud or too soft or the drums are too loud or too soft or if there's all women singing, if they're all, all men singing. It's not anywhere in the New Testament. Nowhere in there does it explain to us. I've, I've actually had people come to me before and say, well, we would love to visit your church, but you don't have a choir. What does that mean? I don't come to worship the choir. I came to worship Jesus. Now, please don't misinterpret what I'm saying here. A choir can incredibly lead you to worship. Please hear me say that. I believe that. But if you're picking and choosing a church on a style of worship, you're probably missing the boat. Because you ought to be picking a church and choosing a style of people who come to love on Jesus. And that's why they're here. That's the kind of church I want to find. I want to find a church, and I want to be a part of a church, and I want to pastor a church, and I believe this church is the church, is one of the churches that loves on Jesus and loves on Jesus well. And so that's the kind of church I want to be a part of. I, I wrote this down, <clears throat> and I even put it on Facebook a couple of days ago, but, boy, it's hit me like a, a ton of bricks. But this is what it, Judson Cornwall said. He said, whenever the method of worship becomes more important than the person of worship, then you've already prostituted your worship. Let me say that to you again. Whenever the method of worship becomes more important than the person of worship, then you've prostituted worship. Basically, what that line is saying to you and to me there is if you're more concerned about the method than you are the person, then you've messed up what you believe worship is. Singing, praying, praising, offering, all that leads to worship. But worship is much more than any of that. Do you remember what we were talking about when we were reading the passage just a few minutes ago about worship? Worship is your spirit becoming in tune with his spirit. That's what worship is. And it can happen all different. You may be singing and 
nothing's really happening, and then all of a sudden we stop and we take up the offering. And you may find this hard to believe, but I know of at least multiple people who have told me this, and I know this has happened to me myself several times, when the offering plate has been passed and I've reached into my wallet and I've gone to put something in the offering plate and God has reminded me of his goodness to me and his graciousness and his love for me. And as I pulled out a $20 bill or a $50 bill or a $100 bill and put it in that offering plate, I remember thinking how good my God is to me. And I put that in there and I might not have worshipped when I sang, but all of a sudden I worshipped when I gave $100 to somebody in the church. That, that sounds crazy. I know that sounds crazy, but it's true. When your heart's in tune with God, when you write a check, you can worship God. In fact, it would break my heart if, if you're uh, tithing and, and giving and you're not worshiping because that ought to be part of what you're doing. Uh, just like when we sing, I know some of you don't have the greatest voices in the world. I, I'm right there with you. I get it. But you can still worship. Man, I, I love to worship through other people's voices and, and get to hear them sing and worship. Oh, man, my, my heart just comes alive. And that's what Christ wants for you, too. He, he wants your heart to come alive. So let me just, as we kind of, and I know this may shock you, but I want to share with you just two things this morning, not three. I want to share with you two things about the priority that we have in worship. And as we share these two things, I hope they will drive home what Christ is trying to teach us about worship. Listen, <clears throat> turn with me, in fact. We're doing pretty good on time. I think we may get out of here for on time. Amen. I know. Look at Mark, the 12th chapter. <clears throat> this is the greatest commandment. Mark, the 12th chapter, the 28th verse. Most of you probably have this pretty well down or, or maybe even memorized. But listen to what Jesus is teaching here in Mark 12, 28. He says, one of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating and noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer. Uh, he asked them, okay, of all the commandments, which is the most important? And as usual, somebody's trying to trip Jesus up, trying to see if he can confuse Christ. And you can't confuse Christ. This is what he says in verse 29. The most important one answered Jesus is this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And then love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and with all your mind, with all your strength. The second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There's no commandment greater than these. Do you see verse 29, the most important one answered? Uh, Jesus is this, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. And love him with all your heart, with all your soul and with all your mind. What's Christ saying to you there? He's saying that if anything is a priority above him, then you've got messed up priorities. You know, it, if you have some priority that's above Christ, then your priority is wrong. If it's your family, you've got a wrong priority. 
If it's your spouse, it's a wrong priority. If it's your school, it's a wrong priority. If it's uh, money or fame, it's a wrong priority. The only priority that you should ever have in your life is Christ. And when that priority is correct, every other priority will take care of itself. If you can get that first, every other thing will take care of itself. And I can promise you this. If Jesus Christ, listen to me, if Jesus Christ is your priority, you're going to make every effort that you can every week to come here and worship him. That's just, that's just the truth. I, I'm not, not trying to beat the bushes, trying to get more people here on Sunday morning because it'll make us all look good and the numbers all look good. I'm, I, I have no real concern for that. What my real concern is, is that if you're a believer, your priority ought to be Christ, and because of that priority, it ought to be to worship Him. And that ought to be the priority. I, I was telling somebody this other day, they were talking about that they had missed a couple of weeks of church and how much it had made their heart hurt. And I loved hearing that. And I said, I'm the same way. I said, you know, I do this annual trip where we go hunting and, uh, you know, it's at the beginning of, or middle of January. And, and so we leave on a Thursday and, and I miss that Sunday. But do you, and I've told you this before, but when we're down uh, in South Texas on that Sunday, the last five or six years that we've gone there, we go and worship at this little bitty small country church. We about double their size when we show up on Sunday morning to worship. And I just, it, it just makes my heart happy. And they don't worship anything like us. Do you, some of you guys may remember this, and if, if, and some churches still do this, their church still does it, but when you walk in, it's, it's only, the church will seat maybe 50 people. And when you walk in, they have this little board on the right, and on that board it says, hymns we will sing this morning. And it's like 23, 77, and, and 84. And before they start singing that hymn, uh, the lady who leads the worship down there will say, turn, she'll <clears throat> turn to the piano player and say, are we going to sing all the verses or just one, two, and four? <laughs> That's great. You know what? When, when I was down there a few Sundays ago, I worshiped the Lord just like I worship him in here. And, and I, you know, when the offering plate came by and I reached into my wallet, and pulled out a $20 bill and put it in the offering plate. I just worship the Lord. Because you can worship him in spirit and truth everywhere. It's your spirit lining up with his spirit. That's what the scripture says. Here's something I want to point out. It's really important for you to, to listen to me when I say this this morning. Service is not a substitute for worship. Service flows out of worship, but if service is your worship, you're, you're worshiping an idol. Let me explain that to you. And I have to be careful with Gary here because when I say this. But if, if you teach Sunday school and you teach connect groups or you teach in our, our children's area on Wednesday nights or if you help somewhere, or if, if you open doors and greet people and do all that kind of stuff and you never set foot in here to worship, but you say to yourself, 
well, I'm a connect group leader. Or I'm busy. I'm teaching the children over here. Or you say, well, I'm I'm working in the nursery all the time and, and I don't have time to come to worship. If you're doing that all the time and you're never setting foot in worship, you're, you're worshiping your service and not the Savior. Listen, I, I have to guard my own heart against that. You know, I'll say, come on, we're going to Ecuador. Come with me and go to Ecuador. Or I'll say, hey, we're going to Jamaica. It's going to be an amazing trip. Go to Jamaica with us. And we'll take that mission trip and we'll say, well, look at me. I did this service for the king. And I've been all these places for the king. But then we say, on Sundays it's not that important. You know, I'll just sleep in. I'll do this or do that. If you do that, then you're worshiping your service. And you're not worshiping the Savior. Don't get caught in that trap. I love what A.W. Tozer said. Uh, A.W. Tozer's a, a really great theologian, and when I was studying, I, I came across this, and I love what he said. Listen to what he said. God wants worshipers before he wants workers. You ask Gary, or you ask Clint, or you ask Jason, or you ask me, and the truth is we want somebody who worships Christ, and then we want them to come work for Christ. But it can't be backwards. We can't have workers and not worshipers. This is what A.W. Tozer said. God wants worshipers before workers. Indeed, the only acceptable workers are, are those who have learned the art of worship. And that's pretty powerful. So how do we prepare to worship? Well, here's just a few questions I'll ask you. Do you, do you come with holy expectancy? Do you drive here on Sunday mornings just almost frustrated with the drudgery of what it means to have to spend a day that you could have stayed home and done some things? Or do you drive here on Sunday mornings because you're excited that you get to worship the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords? That's, that's a question only you can answer. I, I can't answer that. But I can tell you this, <clears throat> what you're coming here to worship has nothing to do with the personalities of people. You don't come here on Sunday morning going, oh, I hope Bobby does good this morning. Sometimes he does good and sometimes he doesn't. I hope it's not a struggle for him this morning. Or you don't come saying, I hope Jason's leading worship this morning. I hope we don't have somebody else leading. I I'd sure hate for it to be somebody else. Or you, you don't come wondering who's going to play the bass or who's going to play the drums or what the slideshow is going to look like or anything else like this. The only reason you come on Sunday morning should be because you're planning to meet Jesus here. And when you meet Jesus here, then you'll be glad that you walked into this building. And it really doesn't matter who's sharing the Word of God. And it really doesn't matter who's leading us in worship. It really doesn't matter who's praying over the offering because you didn't come to see anybody like that, or you didn't come to worship anybody like that. You didn't come to worship Jason. You didn't come to worship me. You didn't come to worship the band. You came to worship Christ. And that's why you come on Sunday morning. 
you are entering an awesome, glorious, gracious presence of the Almighty King when you walk through these doors here. And we ought to be excited about that. I'm not going to turn there, but if you will write down Exodus 19, 10 through 18, in Hebrews 4, 16, it, it will help you to understand how you get prepared to worship Christ. We'll refer to this again next week. But when, when you prepare, get prepared to worship Christ, you'll come in and it won't be about you. That's, a, that's the problem we always are battling, isn't it? That we come in thinking the worship is about me. Who's going to entertain me today? Who's going to sing my favorite song today? Who's going to speak the passage that I want them to speak today? And we make it all about us. In those passages in Exodus, in those passages, that passage in Hebrews 4.16 will remind you, just like they remind me, that what we came to worship today didn't have anybody's name on it except Jesus. That's the only person we came to worship today. And that's the reason that we gathered here this morning. It, it allows you to get beyond yourself and, and, and just to worship Christ. I, I love the Exodus passage. <laughs> the Exodus passage is when um, the ten, ten Commandments are being brought down. And God's talking to Moses about who can come up to the mountain to worship him. And he tells Moses, <laughs> get, get this. He tells Moses, tell them to wash their clothes before they come to worship me. I, I just think that's fascinating because what Christ was saying to us, it's important to come prepared to worship. And that's what we all need to be, is prepared to worship. A couple more quotes, and I'll close out. Eugene Peterson, he, he's a, uh, the theologian, the scholar that wrote the message that I like to look at sometimes because it, sometimes it just helps break down scripture that I'm reading uh, and kind of put it in very practical terms. This is what he wrote. Worship does not satisfy our hunger for God, but it whets our appetite. I love that. When you come here this morning, my heart is that your appetite got wet and, and that your appetite now says, okay, God, you allowed me to worship you this morning. You allowed me to give praise to you. You allowed me to give thanks to you. Now I want to go serve you this week. And I, I want you to walk out these doors with your appetite full. If your hunger has been satisfied, I want that to have happened not because you heard me or not because you sang songs with Jason or Tracy or anybody like that, but because you met Christ here. And when you meet Christ here, then you'll walk out satisfied and you'll want to go do some damage where you work. And when I mean damage, I mean damage for the kingdom. You want to go, go take on the world for Christ because your appetite has been whetted. It's, it's important for me <clears throat> to hear, allow you to hear how important it is that you come in expectancy every Sunday morning 
waiting to meet the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And because of that, I, I just want to share with you a, a very personal story uh, that really drove home the point with me uh, as I was beginning to study this. So uh, I haven't told you this in a while, um, but uh, most of you know that Laura and I are going to be grandparents <coughs> in about three weeks. Uh, the beginning of March is, is when the babies do. It, uh, his name is Riker. Uh, that's what they've chosen to name him. Uh, even more important, his middle name is Evans, which is my middle name, and that's really important. Uh, it's important to me. It may not be important to you. but So the other day, I don't, <clears throat> I don't know what kind of conversations you have with your wife, but the other day we were getting ready to go to sleep, and <clears throat> Laura turned to me and said, have you packed your bag? And I said, what? And she said, have you packed your bag? And I started thinking, oh my gosh, where are we going? I was trying, you know, I just knew that I had not written down something. And I said, where, where are we going? I, can't, I don't know what, what you're talking about. And she said, you're getting ready to have a grandbaby. And I said, yeah. And she said, when Evan and Kristen call, we're getting in the car and we're going to be gone in five minutes. You need to have your bag packed. <laughs> you know, I kind of went, but it, we're not having a baby. You know, I remember when Laura was pregnant with Joshua. This is, is you guys that are old will know this, but <clears throat> I, I rented a beeper. You remember the beepers that you would? I seriously rented a beeper so that she could beat me when, when she went into labor. Uh, but I hadn't even, it hadn't even occurred to me that we need to have a backpack for Evan and Chris. And I just figured, you know, you know, they'll call us and say, hey, we're on the way to the hospital. And Laura and I, you know, especially if it's midnight. You know, I thought Laura and I would go, well, we'll see you in the morning. You know, I just, it's just kind of what I was. But basically, I got told, you got five minutes to be in the car, or I'm gone without you. And I went, well, okay. So, you know, as, as I was packing my bag, <laughs> I, I finally turned to Laura and said, why are we in such a hurry to get there? What's the big deal? You know, because she'll probably be in labor for a while. You know how all that goes. And she said to me, listen to me. This is what I want you to hear. She said, Kristen is letting me and her mom come into the delivery room so that we can watch Riker be born. Changed everything. Know why? Because Laura gets to be in the presence of the baby being born. I don't get that. I'm not afforded that privilege. I get it. Read Exodus. 
where you'll see that only certain people got to go into the presence of the king. It parallels exactly with what's happening here. You know why Laura wants to be packed bags and be gone in five minutes? Because she gets to be in the presence of her grandchild being born. That changes everything for Laura. Listen, every Sunday morning, you get to come into the presence of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And because you get that privilege, it ought to change everything about how you wake up on Sunday morning. Your bags ought to be packed. Your Bible ought to be in hand. And you ought to shoot out that door because you know your spirit gets to meet the spirit of Jesus Christ. That's going to be the kind of Sunday that will change Holly Springs when we worship like that. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, our great joy is to come into your presence on Sunday morning. And God, we, we can't thank you enough for your goodness and your grace and your mercy. You really are a powerful God. and Nothing can stand against you. For that, we give thanks. Father, would you help us to be the kind of people that get way beyond the drudgery of what a Sunday morning means and gets into the excitement of what it means to be in the presence of Jesus Christ. God, as we continue to worship you now just by offering the opportunity for people to respond to what you have said to them today, Father, may your Holy Spirit take control. And that's our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Tracy and the rest of these guys are going to 